0: before we get started in the message this morning, I, I feel like we need to, uh, to, to pray about a, a couple of things. Uh, one uh, is this Rick Little. Uh, Rick found out uh, this morning, early this morning, uh, that his brother Wayne had passed away uh, during the night. So uh, we need to uh, pray for Rick. We need to pray for uh, uh, Wayne's uh, wife and the family and uh, remember them in prayer. Uh, also, uh, Thomas Amaker, Thomas is with us today, but Thomas has spent some time in the hospital this week. i have i been out of town, some training, um, may s- say more about that in a little bit, but, uh, his, uh, liver enzymes have gone up high and they still don't know exactly what's taking place with that. Uh, God does, uh, and everything, but we need to, uh, remember him in prayer also. Uh, and, uh, this might sound like a, an extreme difference in, in prayer requests and I'll, uh, Kind uh, of comment on that also in a minute, but we need to uh, to pray for for John. Some of you on Facebook may know this. Uh, but John this week had the misfortune to lose a uh, Taylor acoustic guitar. Now, some of you know what that means. Uh, some of you are thinking, so, so, you know, what's a Taylor acoustic guitar? Uh, a Taylor acoustic guitar is a very, very expensive <laughs> guitar, and it fell out of the back of his pickup on his way here to lead worship. And someone else picked it up, and uh, don't know who uh, just yet. They've not been able to track it down. And that may sound for you like that's a big extreme of things we're going to pray for uh, because, you know, someone lost a brother, someone's been in the hospital, and we're going to pray about a guitar. I, I think God's interested even in the small things, you know, in, in our lives. And uh, it's a guitar that uh, that is being used to worship, lead worship here. And I think God can restore that, you know. But uh, I, I'd like for, uh, for Rick and Thomas and John, all three, maybe to come up here and stand real quick. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, and then we'll jump into the message from, uh, from that point. Um, Rick, we're sorry about the the loss of your brother, uh, man. And, and Thomas, we hope they find out something really quick uh, for for you also. So uh, let's uh, let's join together in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we we understand, and uh, you knew about before it was ever placed upon our hearts to even pray. But uh, you understand, we're we're bringing a really uh, different spectrum of prayer before you. Uh, Father, we, we do pray for Rick's family uh, and the death of his brother Wayne. We pray encourage them that you be close to them during this time. Uh, Father, I pray for Thomas. I pray you illuminate the minds of the doctors and help them to see exactly uh, what caused his uh, liver enzymes to go up so high and that you'll help them to discover uh, anything that they need to do to help. But beyond the hospital, we put our faith in you, and we pray you just touch him in a way that goes away and there's never, ever any issue with it again. Uh, Father, for John's guitar, we thank you for how he's used it to... Uh, uh, lead worship, and uh, Father, I know it's misfortunate to have lost it like that, but uh, God, we just trust in you to restore it to him, and we pray that you'll, you'll do that very quickly. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. <clears throat> in, uh, in your life, has there ever been times where you were kind of here in a certain point, certain spot in your life? maybe because of circumstances or, or whatever, but you're, you're over here at a certain point in your life. And, and you really feel like you ought to be over here somewhere. You ever feel like that? Yeah. That you're, you, you feel like for some reason circumstances may have you have you trapped down, maybe your own choices, but, but you're here when you feel like you ought to be over here. Now that'll make more sense in a moment because the message as we close out this series In Haggai, God had a specific encouraging message for Zerubbabel. If you remember who Zerubbabel is, uh, he's the the civic leader of the people in Jerusalem. Uh, He returned from Babylon when the remnant did, and they had started rebuilding the city and started the temple, but then kind of got sidetracked with their own purposes and uh, their own lives and, and left the temple lie in ruins for years. And then God sends Haggai to proclaim a message. And uh, he's proclaiming the message to the people, but also to Zerubbabel because he's the civic leader. And, uh, and also to, uh, to, to Joshua, who was the priest in that day and time, who's a religious leader. But uh, today as we close out this study of Haggai, in these last few verses, uh, God sends a specific message uh, to Haggai, I think, to encourage him. There are several reasons Haggai may have been discouraged. Uh, in his life, and I'll talk more about those in just a moment as we jump in to the main part of the message. But he could have even been discouraged because of what he had been hearing from Haggai. Because here's the things we've been talking about that we need to put God first, and it could be that Zerubbabel was internalizing that somewhat and telling himself, "Well, well maybe if I'd been putting God first instead of me being here, i I'd, 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 I'd be here." Or maybe he would be thinking, you know, Haggai told us we need to consider our ways, and we need to view our ways from God's ways. And Zerubbabel could have been thinking, if I'd only been doing that, maybe, maybe my pathway would have been a little bit different. He could have been hearing Haggai proclaim to all the people, well, you need to believe God's promises and understand God keeps all of them, even the negative part of his promises. And if I'd only listened to that, if I'd only obeyed God's uh, command... If I'd only looked up more and understand as I'm living my life that whatever it is I'm facing, if i look up more and understand that God is with me, then maybe that could have helped me get from over here to where I feel like I, I needed to be. If I'd spent more time evaluating my life, looking within, and realizing that That sin itself can contaminate us. It can affect the very work of our hands. Even the things we want to do that are good. The things we want to do for for God. If we're harboring sin there, then it can contaminate even what we do. Even like building a temple. So today, God gives this message of encouragement, I think, directly to Zerubbabel. And what we're going to talk about is this. Look ahead, God seals us. And I'll read the verses as we... uh, As we go through the message. But Zerubbabel, I think, had a lot of reasons to be discouraged. So God gives him this special message for him to encourage him. And it also has some future tense stuff that we'll look at as we go through it, as the prophets do, prophetical stuff in the future. But we're going to see God give a message to this individual, this civic leader by the name of Zerubbabel, For the purpose of encouraging. Really, he gives him two main messages. First part of the message is this. He gives an encouraging word. Now, you know, as I tell you what the pretense of the encouraging word is, you're going to think to yourself, that doesn't sound too encouraging. But you'll understand it from Zerubbabel's viewpoint in a moment. But he gives an encouraging word to Zerubbabel. And he tells him there's going to be a future shaking that's going to take place. The word of the Lord came a second time. The Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Now, they'll leave the verse, I'll keep reading it here in just a moment. They'll leave it on the screen, please, for a second. But it, what that means is this. Haggai had preached a message to all the people. We looked at it last week. But now on the same day that he delivers that message, God gives him a second message. And the second message is predominantly for Zerubbabel. I mean, still yet for us, because it's preserving God's work, but it was to Zerubbabel. He says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders and the horses and the riders shall go down, every one of them by the sword of his brother. And, and, and instead of that sounding like it's encouraging word, that sounds kind of scary. And it sounds like something that you would be shook up yourself that God is saying, I'm going to shake all this stuff. But I think it was really a a word that wound up being an encouraging word for, for him. Satan always, I think, wants to attack leaders. Satan especially wants to attack spiritual leaders. And while Zerubbabel was not the priest, he was a civic leader for God's people. For the people who had been allowed to return from Babylon. And there's several reasons he probably has some discouraging stuff that we're going to look at here in just a second. But before we jump into that, I think we just need to stop and recognize that even spiritual leaders face discouragement. I've Pastor for B- Becky probably has the right time. I'll give the wrong time. But I don't know, 30, 31, I think going on 31 years, maybe something like that. Since I've been called in the ministry, maybe, maybe 32. I'm, I'm old. I forget the exact, <laughs> the exact figures now. Uh, and with it, that's why God gave me a wife. She can remind me, uh, you know, part, part of it. And I can't tell you the number of times over those 30 years I faced discouragement as a spiritual leader. Because, you see, Satan would love to attack me and love to keep me discouraged because if I'm discouraged, it affects what I do for him. And we need to be aware of that as, as churches and as believers, that, that we need to, to pray for spiritual leaders. A needed encouragement. This... Uh, uh, this past week, I had the chance to go for some training called Multiply. I think I'd already alluded to it that the North American Mission Board is unpacking uh, to be used to train church players in the future. I, I told Lynn a moment ago, I thought, man, I wish they had this 14 years ago when we were starting as a church almost 14 years ago. Because it was it was just amazing stuff, and I feel like I've had a fire hose rammed down my throat and, and just... You know about drowning with all the stuff they tried to give us, but it, but it, but it's great stuff. And, and one thing that they told us that uh, that I don't know I was completely aware of unless I'd read it sometime in the past. But they even told us a little bit about how the brain works and, and how we learn. And as we experience new stuff, there's these that start to kind of grow like little electrical impulses. And the the, the more we, we learn it, you know, more than just uh, information, but you start to use it and you start to apply it, then, then the more it runs back and forth and it kind of becomes thicker and stronger, more reinforced in your mind. But he said... If on the front end of us learning something, all of a sudden somebody hits us with a negative thing or something that discourages us, the way our bodies are made, the adrenaline in our bodies stops that sign-up from growing. But the reverse is true. If instead we receive some encouragement, that that encouragement before any discouragement hits, the the, the encouragement causes these endorphins in our brain to kind of be, be released to where it encourages more connectivity in those synopses as you learn things. I thought, man, I wish I knew that years ago. <laughs> I mean, if you think about that, that changes the way you communicate with people even, right? Yeah. Yeah. If, we, if we'd understood that. So I, I've had a lot of times, that I guess my adrenaline has thrown up a little blockade and caused my mind to retreat or shut down from something that I, that I needed to be, to be using more. And that's why it's important that we try to encourage each other. We're told in the Bible we're encourage each other as believers. But just recognize that even because someone's a, a spiritual leader, that doesn't mean that they never ever face discouragement because many times they may be under more attack than you even can recognize because Satan understands the value of trying to get at them. So as God sends his message to ruble, he gives an encouraging word, I think, to begin with, to a discouraged leader. When, when he said in verse 20, in the first part of verse 21, the word of the Lord came a second time. In other words, Haggai hey, yeah, just spoke. Picture says Zerubel's shoes. Haggai hey, yeah, just spoke to all the people. But now, God cares enough about you as an individual to have Haggai hey, yeah, tell you something for yourself. You ever had that happen in your life? When God speaks something to your spirit and your soul that you really, really needed to hear. And that's what's happening right here with with Zerubbabel. He he speaks a second time to him saying, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of of Judah. So it it literally means kind of like a, a, a double portion. He had had the benefit of hearing what everyone else was hearing, and now God gives him a, a double portion, a, a second message that he needed to hear on that day. Zerubbabel, we've already talked about what his name means. Uh, the most basic meaning of it is simply this uh, He was in Babylon, and, and he was allowed to leave from Babylon, probably even born in Babylon, as the children of Israel were, were there, gone away into captivity. So he's born there, and he's allowed to to flow away from Babylon. Uh, Babylon, of course, that word means confusion. uh, But Zerubbabel means he flowed away from confusion. The reason Babylon means confusion, most of you are probably familiar with the story. In Genesis, people got together and said, we're going to build a tower to heaven. And God said, no, you're not. I'm going to confuse your speech to where you can't even begin to communicate and continue the work that you're doing. So he had been raised literally... Born literally in a place away from his own homeland, in a place called confusion, in in a heathenistic society, in a culture there. So I, I think that would have affected him a little bit. You see, all of us carry baggage from our past, don't we? We we carry baggage from the circumstances that we go through in life. I, I still have a lot of baggage, even at 60 years old, from my dad having been an alcoholic and the things that I saw when I was young and growing up and everything, you'll, you'll wind up carrying that baggage with you. So Zrubel no doubt has some baggage because of wondering, well, God, why did that happen? I mean, why years ago was Nebuchadnezzar allowed to come in? Why do we have to be in captivity? Why did I have to be raised in that culture? And maybe even this, God, now you've sent me back along with these people and you've kind of put me in charge. And on top of everything else, I've got this temple to build. So that could have brought discouragement into his heart and life because all of a sudden he's hit with new things on his plate that wasn't there. Like I said, for 16 years after they kind of reinforced the city and they started the foundation of the temple, they were kind of done with it and they weren't doing a lot at that point. Now God says, Hey, Zerubbabel, you need to finish building the temple. That would be a major task. And all of a sudden he's given the responsibility to help oversee all of that's taking place and that's being pumped into his schedule. So I've got a personal prayer request for me based upon that also because the stuff I just talked to you that was really, really neat this week that I got to experience Uh, Mac Lake was a guy that's written this material. You could probably Google his name on on YouTube or something and maybe see him do some teaching. Man, he was inspiring and and everything. But then with this new training, like uh, any church planner I'm working with now, I have to put together what they're calling a cohort instead of a network, and I can have up to five, but I'll have to meet with them every three weeks, and I have to spend three to four hours with them. Uh, unpacking stuff, not preaching to them, not giving them lectures, but walking them through things and doing group coaching and things like that. I learned some vital tools that I needed for myself and even for us this week, I think. But I'm just telling you, that's new stuff on my plate all of a sudden. You know, so I need your prayers. So, so Rupa could have been very discouraged just because of that, because of the new stuff fit on his plate. I, I think another reason... He could have probably been really discouraged because of the, the situation that he was in, and his life would have been this. If you study out Zerubbabel's bloodline, you'll find out that he's a lineage of David. Now that's why I said a moment ago. Have you ever felt like you're over here somewhere, and you ought to be over here in your life? Here's Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is over here as a governor, and he's only governor because a heathen king appointed him to be governor all the time, knowing that he was of the bloodline of King David. Instead of being a governor, he should have been the king. Instead of being a governor, he should have had a crown on his head. Instead of being a governor, he should have been the king over Judah, the king over the people of Israel. But that's not what his circumstance was. So I would suggest to you, if you knew you are supposed to be the king of the land, and, and you're over here just kind of like an appointed governor, that might discourage you a little bit, wouldn't it? We understood this is what your legacy was supposed to be. And we'll come back to that legacy in a, in a moment. Something else that probably was discouraging him was that as Zerubbabel was doing this work, the, 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 the other nations that were around Jerusalem, around Judah, were more powerful then Judah was at that point as far as their own their own selves not god in the equation you understand what I'm saying so he is a civic leader, probably looking at these other nations, who had been fortifying and strengthening themselves the whole time the children of Israel were gone into bondage. And now they've been told to build up the walls of the city, build up the gates, build the temple. Just maybe in Zerubbabel's mind, he's thinking, what well, if we're doing this for no reason? What well, if we build up the gates and the walls and the, and the temple, and then another Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and another Invading army comes in and just tears all of this down, and, and it's all done for no reason. He could be a little bit discouraged by looking at the strength of those potential invading armies all around him. So he had a lot of reasons to be discouraged, and I think that's why God speaks some encouraging words to him. Now, if you'll think about that, that's why what I said a moment ago when I said he gives him an encouraging word, and I read you about all the shaking and everything, that might not seem too encouraging, it was disrevable. Because an encouraging word about what the future holds, while it sounded scary and dangerous that God's going to shake heaven and earth that God's going to shake all these kingdoms, that God's going to take their chariots and their horses and just it'd be total upheaval, that could have been something that could have been very scary to him. And I'm not going to read all that again, but it's in, in verse 21 down through verse 22 when, when God is saying, I'm going to overthrow all of these things. In other words, God is telling Zerubbabel what he's going to do. Now, if you view that from Zerubbabel's vantage point, he, as God's people, he, as a leader of God's people, is in that situation of where he's over here and he feels like he ought to be over here. And he's seeing all these surrounding nations and considering them a threat and wondering what in the world they may do, more or less God says this is Rubable. He says, Rubable, don't worry about all those nations. I've got this. I'm the one that's in control. I'm the one that will take care of these circumstances. I'm the one that will take care of these, these armies out here that's around you that you may be worried about in some way. God is reminding Zerubbabel that he is in charge of history. God is reminding Zerubbabel that he himself, God, is all-powerful. That God is the one that controls history. In other words, the same God in the background, in the history of the children of Israel, the same God that took a little baby that was born in a time period when he should have been killed at the moment he was born, because that's what the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, had given this edict out that they would kill any of the male-born children. That's what should have happened to this little baby by the name of Moses. Instead, he's kept alive. And instead, his mother receives information to make this little thing like a boat, this ark, take him out and put him near the bull rushes, which by the way, they are alligators and crocodiles rather out there in the bull rushes. And to do that by faith, and then Pharaoh, the one that's trying to extinguish all the male children in Israel, of the the people of Israel, his own daughter is the one that goes and fishes out this baby, raises him in her own home, in Pharaoh's house. He becomes second in command in Egypt before he decides to take a stand with God's people and he kills an Egyptian and then he has to go away out into a desert place for a while. And then he sees a burning bush, and after all his excuses, God sends him into Egypt, and God uses him to perform all the mighty miracles that are there, and the children of God walk out of Egypt, carrying riches and possessions that belong to the Egyptians. God is saying, I'm still that same God. He's still that same God today. They're the same God that led joshua to be mentored by moses to be called upon to lead the children of israel over into the promised land with all the great wall cities and the giants and everything else to go in and take possession of the promised land that same god is the same god that was zerubbabel and he's the same god that we still have access to today if you know christ as your savior so instead of being so fearful and so discouraged about the situation that he was finding himself in, God is giving a word of encouragement saying, don't worry about all this stuff out there. Don't worry about what you see. Don't worry about those dangerous-looking nations and armies around you. God is saying, I've got that. And there's coming a time that I'm going to shake them, and I will deal with it. Don't worry about it, Zerubbabel. Now, that is not only an immediate message for Zerubbabel and the children of Israel as they build the temple. It's also a prophetic message. Still yet to come. Because as he talks about shaking heaven and earth, and he talks about shaking the the nations, that's something that still yet will happen in, in a more ultimate way. In Matthew, we find these words, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. I I, I think it's awfully easy for us to get caught up like Jerubal may have been in his current circumstances. For us to get caught up in everything we see in the news, everything that looks dangerous in our world, whether it be ISIS or whatever else we're worried about, Uh, elections or whatever it might be, and and we get so worried about those things that we get so caught up in them that we find ourselves very discouraged because we look around and see all this uh, upheaval that's already taken place. You see, the way we ought to view that as Christians is this. That just means it's closer to Jesus coming. All the upheaval, anything that you're, you're experiencing in this world today that I think is probably going to get worse. Instead of us being so worried about it, so discouraged and defeated by it, be reminded of those circumstances, that means there's a king on the way. Amen. He also said this, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the, the sun will be darkened and, and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. See, there's this future shaking that's going to take place Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They're going to mourn because they rejected him. But see, that's the answer. That's the solution to all the upheaval in this world. It's not another election. It's not another politician. It's not whatever you might think you can fix yourself. The ultimate solution is going to take care of it all is when the king returns. And he sits upon his throne. Zerubbabel might have been worried about his current situation. And he was just being encouraged by God through Haggai. Don't worry about all that. I will shake that. You see how that scary thought becomes an encouraging thought for Zerubbabel? And how the circumstances that we live in today, instead of it being something to worry us and concern us, ought to become an encouraging thought because it means Jesus is on the way. In, in Daniel we find this, Daniel 2 verse 44, in, in, the, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it, talking about this future kingdom, will stand forever. Why is all of heaven and earth going to be shaken? Why will all of those nations be shaken in such a way? Here's why. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is sitting on the throne. Jesus is setting up a kingdom that will never ever come to an end that will replace all of these other kingdoms. Why must all the kingdoms be shaken? Why must all that be dissolved? Because there's a different kingdom that will replace them and last forever. That's the future tense prophecy of what is being told to Zerubbabel here is Haggai gives him an encouraging word now he's building a temple he's maybe worried about his past he's worried about these other nations but when God tells him all those things don't you imagine that gave him maybe the encouragement to finish the job the encouragement to finish the temple The encouragement to serve God. Because you'll see here in a moment, God lets Zerubbabel know, hey, you're special to me. You are chosen by me. You are my servant. God was letting him know that he was with them in the people of of Jerusalem. That's why it was an encouraging word, even though it looked scary. Because it meant he's going to replace all those kingdoms. That God would take care of the situation. Second message of encouragement that... Haggai hey, yeah, gives to Zerubbabel is, is this. In verse 23, he's talking about an everlasting king and a forever sealing that will take place, a forever seal that will take place. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son, the son of Shatila, declares the Lord, and make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you declares the Lord of hosts. Think about that for a moment. On that day, he's telling him there's a day and he says, rububble you're going to be like my my signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Go back to what I said earlier. Whose bloodline did I say that Zerubbabel was connected to. He was of the house and the lineage of who? David. Do you know what that also makes him? It makes him in the bloodline of Jesus. It makes him in the, in the messianic bloodline. That Jesus himself would be born as a descendant of Zerubbabel. And yes, Zerubbabel might be a signet ring, a stamp of authority for God. But he's also speaking future tense. Hey, Zerubbabel, there's going to be one of your offspring. There's going to be one of your descendants who's going to come. And he's going to be the ultimate signet ring. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then we we jump down uh, after he says, are this the lineage of Christ? And, and he begins to talk about the lineage of Christ. Go on to the next screen. Whose name do you see right there in verse 12? Oh, don't be afraid to talk up and say something. Come on. It's a rubable. Help me out. I'm a little bit pumped up today because of what I've been through this week. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to read all the rest of the names that's in between there in in Jesus. First of all, you probably don't want to hear me butcher them. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is look at this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. That would be the ultimate fulfillment. Of these promises that God is making to Zerubbabel. We're told the the same thing in in, in Luke, uh, because there's a genealogy there. In in, in Luke 3.27, you also find Zerubbabel's name listed there in the bloodline of Jesus. God had promised David that of his throne, of his bloodline, there would always be a ruler in Israel. And the ultimate fulfillment of that would be that one day the Messiah would come. And the Messiah would be that ultimate king. And the Messiah would sit on the throne of David forever and ever. That's the point that Haggai is making in in these verses. He's declaring to to Zerubbabel a future day that God would take a descendant of Zerubbabel and make him his his signet ring. And in the process of encouraging Zerubbabel, he looks at Zerubbabel and he calls him my servant. No, no, you're not getting the impact of that. Think about that for a moment. How would you like for God to call you by name and say, you are my servant? Huh? By the way, he's done that. <laughs> because if you know him, if you trust in Christ as Savior, he calls you to be his servant. He, he calls you to serve him. He calls you to be priests and kings unto him. It is what he calls us to be. So we've been called servants. And then he says this to him, I have chosen you, declares the the Lord of hosts. He said, I have specifically chosen you, Zerubbabel. You are my servant. I've chosen you for this task. That ought to encourage him to do what he's called to do because he hears that God has chosen him. Now one thing I love about the new training that they 're doing with church planners now through the North American Mission Board is that there will be twelve components or twelve characteristics of a church planner, and the first component deals with their calling and their character because i, I you see you 've not been where i 've been, and you 've not taught some people i 've talked with i 'm sick and tired of someone wanting to be ordained or or, or someone wanting to be a church planner that can 't even State for sure they know they're called. Because in with a calling, you don't get over that. They get you through the bad times if you know God's called you. So here, that's being reinforced in Zerubel's life that he has been, he's chosen, he's been called by God. He said, You're my you're my servant. So let's jump to the ultimate picture. I've already told you the ultimate picture. Zerubbabel is a type or a picture of Jesus in the scriptures. So let's think about the things that are said to Zerubbabel and bring them ultimately to Christ for a minute. Zerubbabel is God's servant. But the greatest fulfillment of God's servant is who? Jesus. Because he who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords took on human flesh. He came into this world. He he was sweating bullets of blood, drops of blood there in Gethsemane because he knew what was about to happen. Not necessarily, I think, because of the, the pain he was going to go through, but because of the separation that would happen between him and the Father as he hung on the cross. And yet, even in that moment, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus ultimately fulfilled the Father's will. He ultimately fulfilled the plan of salvation because he's God's ultimate servant. Zerubbabel is not only God's servant, he's also God's chosen. But the greatest chosen one, once again, is guess who? Jesus. But get this, through faith in Christ, guess who else becomes chosen ones? You and I are his chosen ones when we trust in Christ. He chose you before you were ever born. He chose you before your parents ever thought about you. And he had plans for things for you to do. He has chosen us he he selected us he he declares that the eternal god of all the universe as an oracle looks at Zerubbabel and he says you're my chosen one but the ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus also as we look at what he said as Zerubbabel we, we see this next slide Zerubbabel God told him through hand, yeah, you're my my signet ring But Jesus, and we're going to spend some time talking about that here before we close. But Jesus is the greatest signet ring. He's the greatest seal of God. Now, if you don't understand that, we need to talk a little bit about what a signet ring does. Now, a signet ring uh, refers to a signature ring. It literally means to close up or to seal. And different cultures used it in different ways. Uh, some of the, the, the countries, uh, nations outside of, uh, of Israel, they would wear it around their neck, and the king would have that as a stamp of authority and when he was sealing up an envelope with a, a communication maybe to a to a adjoining uh, country or whatever uh, before he gave it to the courier they would put melted wax on and he would seal it with that sign and that way it was guaranteed when it arrived to 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 be the authentic message that was received but but it would be used like that. A signature ring uh, also in, in in Israel, in the Jewish culture, they wore it as a ring instead of something around their neck. So it was worn there as a ring. And there's several things that's implied, I think, by this signet ring. It implies to begin with a close connection with God. Right there on the right hand. It was a prized possession because it represented authority. There's several things we'll talk about. But because it represented the authority, it was a very prized possession of whoever owned it to have that signet ring because of what it represented. They were prized possessions. That was true as a rubable. So the message that God has given us rubable is also this. I value you. You're my prized possession. How much more is that fulfilled in Christ? Because Christ was the only begotten Son of God. Christ is God in the flesh come into this world. How much more did he value his son? And because of what his son did on the cross, he values you. He he loves you and he values you. You're his prized possession if you've placed faith in Jesus. The signet ring also represents the authority. Back up, please. The authority of the king of the ruler. So God is telling Zerubbabel... You represent my authority. Hey, what I've called you to do, to be the civic leader over my people here in Jerusalem, what I've called you to do, to build the temple, you're my authority. I've given you my authority to do what I've called you to do. Jesus Christ is the ultimate representative of God's authority. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. He is God, so that's why he's the ultimate representative of God's authority. And it represents all that God is, Jesus being the signet ring, of God, the very authority of God, because he is God. Next slide. The signet ring also we used, as I alluded to a moment ago, uh, to kind of enter into, into this, just to illustrate where you understand what it is. The signet ring was also used to, as a signature uh, of authority. Their official signature on documents to guarantee that the king would keep his promises and fulfill the terms of the document. So Zerubbabel being God's signature was God's signature on the command to build the temple. It's as though God is saying to Zerubbabel and all the people, he's my signet ring, I'm calling him to do this, that means it'll be done. That means you can do what I've called you to do. But Jesus Christ himself is a very official signature of God, verifying God will keep all his promises in Christ in the full terms of the gospel. Why do we know that God will keep his promises? Why do we know that the gospel is true and God will keep all the promises of the gospel that he makes through the gospel to to those who believe? Here's why. Because Jesus is the stamp of authority. Jesus is the one that seals that. He sealed it in his own blood. Next slide. The signet ring also is used, as I alluded to a moment ago, to close or seal a document. uh, To protect things, to guarantee whatever inside was safe. Let me give you kind of a little bit of a negative illustration of that, but it still gives an illustration of what happened. Remember when Jesus was put in the tomb? That king decided, I'm going to keep the king of kings in the tomb by putting a seal on it. And when he put his seal, his insignia, on that seal that was placed upon the tomb of Jesus, it meant that if you break that seal and you're caught doing it, you're going to die. So that's even one of the things that reinforces the resurrection of Christ we've talked about before because no one's going to break into that tomb a ragtag bunch of disciples because they knew it represented death and because of the guard that was put there. But he tried to seal Jesus in. The problem is the king on earth didn't have power over the king of kings and Jesus took his life back up. Amen? And that seal was broken. But but also what the seal meant was this. If a king was going to send a message to another king, another government, whoever it might have been, to be sure it wasn't tampered with in the process of going from the original location to the ultimate location, to be sure the courier didn't pop it open and say, well, I'm going to write in what I want to be there. He would seal that document, and then when the person received it, it was guaranteed that what was in the document had been kept safe until he received it. hey. <laughs> Jesus Christ is God's signet ring. From the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, God put a seal on your life, and you are protected, you're guaranteed, you're sealed one day to that ultimate destination where one day you will be with God for all eternity because of what Jesus did on the cross. You are sealed right now, guaranteed and delivered to arrive there in heaven one day because Jesus is God's signet ring. And he's given us the, the Holy Spirit of God that even seals us against that ultimate day of, of redemption with, with Christ. Look what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has appointed us and who has also set, notice this, who has also put his seal on us. And giving us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God is deposited in your life as God's seal. Guarantee that God will keep His promises. Guarantee that one day you'll ultimately be with Christ, with God for all eternity. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Because you're a Christian... You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You have an inheritance for the heaven. It is sealed by the very signet ring of Jesus and the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God being in your life. You are sealed now until that inheritance belongs to you. That's the ultimate picture that's being given here through this signet ring that God had had you to talk to Cerubbabel about. The seal of the signet ring also is this it's a seal of ownership. Because whatever was under that seal belonged to the person that sealed it. <laughs> that means if you know Christ as your Savior, you have a seal of ownership placed upon you. Amen. You don't belong to Satan. You don't belong to the world. You don't even belong to yourself, by the way, because you've been bought and paid for with a price. You belong to Christ. You belong to God. And God has placed His seal over you. You're His possession. So as we come to the close of this series in Haggai, I I think it would help us to try and remember some of the things that God has said to us in this series. I've already told you, I think, at least one other Sunday, I preached through Haggai at another church. Kind of the purpose was then raising funds to do uh renovations that they needed because it was an older facility and, and things like that. And I preached to it verse by verse. But it wasn't the same. Have you ever been familiar with something and you've read it and everything, and then sometime later, when, when you read it, maybe it's like, wow, this, this is maybe this is. God has this for me right now. Have you ever experienced that? We just finished talking about our our vision and, and our mission, and we put up big picture stuff. There's small picture stuff we still need to work through. And we talked about how we are not building a building, but we are building a temple. Because you individually, you're the temple of God corporately. The church is the the, the temple of God, and that's what we've been focusing upon. And I had no idea really when I started that I'd wind up in Haggai. And I think to a certain degree it's been reinforcing because we are supposed to be about building a temple. But guys, I'm just telling you that on the front end of thinking that God for some reason wants to go through Haggai... I had no idea I was going to experience what I've experienced going through this little two-chapter book in the Old Testament. And I've read it plenty of times, preached all the way through it once. I lead a small group over at Bill and Christa's on Sunday evenings and they mention one night and I kind of respect when they say things like this because they're, they're, they're older than me. It's good to have some people that are older than me around here. It can make me feel a little bit better about myself age-wise. But they said they had never seen so much in Hagia. So I thank God, and this ought to be always true, but I think sometimes I sense it's more especially true I think God has day three church at this point going through Haggai for very special reasons right now that we don't need to miss. And that we need to remember from here on out. We were told to put God first. You need to do that in your life. It will change your life and your outlook. If our our church will put God first, it will transform Day three church. He said, We don't need to be transformed for ourselves. We need to be transformed for a lost world around us. If we'll consider our ways, if we'll view ourselves from God's perspective and then change what we see, don't view yourself from your own perspective and think, Hey, I'm not that bad. View yourself from God's perspective and see things that you need to change. We need to view ourselves from God's perspective. As a church body, and then change ourselves to be what God wants us to be, we need to realize that God keeps all of His promises. Don't just rejoice in the good stuff. you need to remember God keeps the negative stuff too. We need to remember that in our individual lives and as a church. We need to obey god 's word because there's consequences to fail and obey God 's word. As we try and do the things God wants us to. And it's getting harder and harder in the day that we live in, the culture that we live in. That's why I said earlier, you start reading the, the newspaper and seeing the news and everything. Man, I can get very very discouraged and caught up in some of that stuff. And, you know, if you ever follow me on Facebook, you might wonder, why did he say that? Because I've still got a police officer side too that pops out every now and then. Now, I try and control it, but sometimes I don't do that good of a job. I read this past week that the new mayor of London, who uh, happens to be Islamic, had kind of sent a little bit of a threat to Trump if he becomes president, that he better, you know, let uh, them continue to come into the country or there'll be more attacks. And um, before my preacher side caught me my police officers side caught me, and I typed a message and I said, S- come on and see how that works out for you. <laughs> I didn't just say that. I said, you've never experienced good old boy rednecks in America and everything. We don't even need an army to whip you. Just come on and see how that works out. Then after I had sinned, I thought, I don't know if I should have done that or not. <laughs> so I get caught up in some things like that. And he'll never see it. It was whoever posted it would see it, you know. Uh. And I get worried about things. I get worried about my grandchildren. And what the world's going to be like for them. Because we're human. But what we need to do is take the message of Haggai and we need to recognize he's in control. He's going to shake things. He's the one that's going to take care of everything. And he told Haggai, look up. He said, look up, I'm with you. To do this. We need to grab hold of that message as a church. We need to look up and understand whatever it might look like, however scary it might be to do whatever God calls us to do, it's okay because he's with us. We need to evaluate constantly sin in our own life because it will contaminate our lives. It will keep us from being all we need to be for Christ. And above it all, we need to look ahead and understand something. As believers, no matter what comes, no matter what we face, no matter what happens in our world, we are sealed by the blood of Jesus. And it's going to be okay. So today, can I ask you a question? Do you know that you're sealed? Now, understand what I'm asking. I'm asking in a little bit different way. Do you understand that you know Christ is your Savior? Do you know for sure that you've believed in the finished work of Jesus on the cross? If so, you are sealed by the blood of Jesus and by the Spirit of Jesus. But if you don't know that, you need to, you need to get serious with God. You need to admit to Him that you can't save yourself, you can't fix your life. You need to trust in what God lovingly did for you in His Son, once and for all. Jesus Christ Himself is the once and for all forever signet ring of God. Everything is taking place that needs to take place. Through Jesus Christ, God's redemption plan is sealed forever. Through faith in Jesus Christ, believers have God's official seal on their lives, and we're kept safe underneath that seal. And we belong to God forever through the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross, and we're guaranteed by the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that we belong to him. In closing this series, there's some really wonderful things that Haggai said, that God said through Haggai during this series. He said, I'm with you. He said, fear not. He said, I will bless you. And I have chosen you. Man, aren't those great encouraging messages? To know that God is with us that we don't have to fear, that He promises to bless if we live His purposes, if we're living the way He wants, obedience to Him. And He says, I have chosen you. I think it's very appropriately the last phrase in the book of Haggai is this, declares the Lord of hosts. Remember when I first started the series? I told you, look through it and see how many times he says, God said, the Lord said, God said, God said, God said, in just a, you know, two short chapters. The book closes by saying, declares the Lord of hosts. Thank God there's a sovereign God in heaven that can say that and that can keep his word in what he declares. The final son of David one day will rule the earth in peace and righteousness. The ultimate signet ring of God. Therefore, we as God's people, we need to be faithful now. We need to trust in God's promises now. We need to understand that if there's a coming king that's going to be all right. We need to strive to keep his word and serve him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your encouraging words that you give us throughout the Scriptures. Help us to apply them in a way that we that they become more than just content, more than just information. Help us to be engaged by your encouraging words in a way that causes our our faith to grow, that causes our, those mental synops I talked about to grow in our, in our brain and thicken because we, we hear what You say and we believe it enough to practice it and for it to become part of our lives. Father, if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know Christ as Savior, please draw them to Yourself. Have them by faith in Jesus to have Your seal Placed upon their lives. Thank you, God, those of us that know you, that you have sealed us, that we're yours, that we're your precious possession. Help us to live like that. Help us to honor you. Lord, we live our lives the way the way way day church lives this life. We're in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.